I've shared before, folks, and it's connected with Psalm 22, what we've just looked at, that one of the things I really like about the Psalms is their honesty. They don't hide anything from us. Psalm 22 is brutally honest. Read through it again this afternoon. It, it opens up all sorts of emotions to us. I think it's clear when we spend any amount of time reading through the Psalms and we can think back to maybe some of the Psalms we looked at in the past summer. There is raw emotion conveyed in those words. And it's everything from the heights of joy and praise to the depths of depression and abandonment. Because, and I think it's fair to say, there are times when we feel as if we have been abandoned by God, aren't there? Whenever we feel that God has forsaken us. I think it's important in those times to know what to do. Where do we look? How do we think? You've maybe heard of the great reformer Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the catalyst that God used to bring reform in his church. Luther was often struck by periods of extreme depression. In those times when Luther felt immense isolation and abandonment, he once wrote to his friend Philip Melanchthon, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain and I still tremble completely abandoned by Christ. I laboured under the vacillations and storms of desperation and blasphemy against God. I wonder if you've ever felt that. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that the, the light of God has just gone out and you're left in the dark? Traditionally, Christians have called it the, the dark night of the soul. Maybe you've never had anything so intense, but perhaps for you there is a dagging, a, 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 a nagging doubt in your mind. You've heard of Jesus, you've, you've maybe even put your trust in, in him for salvation, but still there's a doubt. You wonder, did I do it right? Did I say the right prayer? You maybe even struggle to believe at times that your sins are actually forgiven and that your eternity is safe in the arms of Jesus. Maybe there's guilt. Maybe there's this feeling of guilt pricking away at you, making you wonder, how could God forgive someone like me? Let alone, how could God love me? Guilt over sin can really eat us up and it can make us doubt our salvation. Like I'm certain there are people in this room who have asked the question, am I really saved? Maybe you've thought, how do I know if I'm really saved? Well, for anybody who's thought those things or asked those questions, this is the passage of the Bible for you. In Genesis 15, we have a story about Abraham's doubts and God's assurance. Abraham's in the dark, both physically and emotionally, but in the dark, God brings his assurance. And there's three things that God assures him of in our passage, and I want us to see those today. We have assurance of faith in God, in God himself. 
There's assurance of faith in God's word. And then finally, assurance of faith in God's covenant. Let's begin by looking at assurance of faith in God. Do you have your Bibles open to Genesis 15? We don't know how long it is after, but verse 1 tells us, after the events of the previous chapters, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Well, what did happen in those previous chapters? Let's remind ourselves what's happened. Abram's been called out of his country, his home, his family. He's going to go to, he needs to go to the place where God is leading him. And he went, didn't he? Abram followed God's command. He, he followed the call of God. And not only was he promised a place that he would get to call home, God has promised that he will become a group of people, an entire nation. And best of all, God has promised that he will be with him. God's presence will be with him. Well, then Abram had some adventures. He went to Egypt. He made a big mistake, didn't he? But God's presence rescued him. He separated from his nephew Lot and he ended up rescuing Lot from the hands of a major king of the time, Kedar Lamer. And even after his foolish cardus in, in Egypt, Abram has continued to do one thing. There's one thing that's grounded him throughout it all, and that is come to the altar and worship God, knowing that God's presence is with him. But then we come to the start of Genesis 15, and there's something wrong. It seems as if Abram is afraid because God has abandoned him. God has promised. God promised him a place, a people and his presence. But that was quite a while ago. And so Abram's maybe wondering when. When is God going to make good on his promise? He feels he's been faithful in recent times. He's shown devotion to God in the, in the way that he dealt with Lot over the separation of land. He's been faithful when, when tempted by the king of Sodom to take the spoils of war. Perhaps Abram's feeling a little of what we all feel at times. I've been good, so God owes me. And so the chapter starts with Abram in the dark. Not only is he wondering about the promise of a son... And the promise of a place, he's feeling like God's presence is gone. The presence of God has abandoned him. But God comes to him and he says, verse 1, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Isn't that a remarkable thing for God to say? He doesn't address the, the, the cares and the worries that Abram might have. He, he doesn't say, don't worry, I will fulfill my promise. He doesn't say, don't worry, I, I will make you richer than the king of Sodom ever could. What does God offer Abraham? He offers him himself. God reassures Abram with his own presence. This is how God brings assurance to Abram's questions and doubts. He says, I am your shield. In other words, Abram, you have me. I am with you. When you have me, there's no need to fear. There's no need to worry. You have God. I think we often forget the, the beautiful simplicity of that truth. 
And it's absolutely central to the whole teaching of the Bible, friends. God is with you. He is your shield. He is your exceedingly great reward. So often we look around us for the blessings of God. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be thinking about God's goodness in the harvest. And and I think it's been a good harvest this year. God has blessed us in the harvest. But can't we get so caught up in looking for the blessings of God that we forget to be thankful for God himself? God is with us. As we gather in the church, he's with us by the power of his Holy Spirit working in the word. And that's what scripture teaches over and over again. God reminds his people that he is with them. And he will continue with them. He tells them, don't be afraid, don't be worried, don't be troubled. The same is true for us. If you're one of God's children, if you're believing by faith in the salvation of Jesus, then God is with you. We can be even more sure of God's presence than Abram was because we live after the cross of Christ. And so we have the promise of Jesus to cling on to. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, you should be rightly thankful for the blessings of God. But even in those dark times, in the times when it feels as if the light has gone out, And God has removed his blessings from you. God has never left you. Don't forget that God is with you. He is your shield. Your very great reward. I like the way John Piper, the American Baptist preacher, applies this for us. This is an interesting way for us to think about it. He puts it as a question. He says, the critical question for our generation and every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict and no natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven? Christ wasn't there? Would you be satisfied with that if God's presence wasn't there? All of the stuff, well, it's great, isn't it? It's great to have the blessings of God, but we don't want to separate them from the God who, who gives the blessing. I want you to be assured today, just as Abram was all those years ago, Not only with the earthly things that Jesus blesses us with. Not only the stuff that comes from God. I want you to be assured and satisfied today with the knowledge that the God of the Bible has united himself to you. And so he's always with you. He's always with you. So you don't need to be afraid. Secondly then, In this passage, we have the assurance of faith in God's word. God has made promises to Abram and God fully intends to keep his promises. In fact, because of who God is, he must keep the promises. God cannot lie. He cannot break his own word. And so in this dark moment of doubt and confusion, God assures Abram through his word. 
he reaffirms his promise and he bolsters Abram's faith. As I've said, I think verses 2 and 3 expose the root cause of Abram's worry and concern. The physical and emotional darkness are matched by Abram's intellectual darkness at this point. He's confused. How is this going to work, God? How, how can a nation of people come from me? The, the, my heir is a servant in my house. Abram is doubting the promise. He's doubting God's word. And aren't we like that? At times, don't we struggle? I know I struggle to believe the promises of God's word. Have you ever doubted the Bible? Have you ever been tempted not to believe the promises that are made? In many ways, I think we've all had this experience. And so, Abram is struggling to believe. And what does he need? He needs a reaffirmation from God. He needs more of God's word. And so at the start of verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him. It's another time. God's word comes to Abram and makes the promise again. God reaffirms the promise. He strengthens the promise. He's already used the dust of the ground to assure Abraham. Now he uses the stars in the sky. The very stars that God placed himself. He knows each one of them. And so he reaffirms the promise by pointing Abram to the stars and saying, count the stars. Are you able to count them? That's how many your descendants shall be. So friends, maybe you're in that place today. Maybe you're struggling to believe. Maybe you've heard the promises of God that by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart, you will be saved. But maybe you're struggling to believe it. You've heard it, but it's hard to believe. Maybe you've heard that all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved, but you're doubting that applies to you. Maybe you've heard that God is faithful and just to forgive the sins of those who confess their sins, but you're wondering if you have confessed them correctly. Maybe you've heard the promises, but you're having a hard time believing them. Well, can I give you this advice today? Just like Abram, what you need is more of God's word, not less. I know that might be hard to hear because somebody who's struggling to believe is more likely to zone out. You're more likely to ignore times of Bible reading. You're more likely to switch off during the sermon. You're more likely to develop an apathy or a dislike for people pointing you to the promises of God's word. But friends, that's exactly what you need. Just like Abram, you need more of God's word, not less. Keep looking. Keep looking deeper and deeper into the word of God. The Bible is, is like the deepest of mines. The more you dig, the more gold and diamonds you will find. Please never give in to the temptation to flee from it or ignore it. The answers to all your questions and doubts are found in this book. The reaffirmation of God's promises to Abram does something in Abram. It changes him. It gives us one of the most important verses in all of Christian theology. At this point, by the end of verse 5, Abram's faith has been reassured. He knows his God. He's heard the promises of God. And so we get verse 6. You see verse 6? And he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. 
such an important verse. It's quoted more than once in the New Testament. It it forms the foundation of Paul's argument in Romans chapter 4 to say that we are justified by faith alone. In other words, this verse teaches us that our righteousness does not depend on our behaviour. It depends on our belief. So when God looked at Abram, he didn't see the tricksy liar who was such a card that he allowed his, his wife to be carried into the harem of Pharaoh. No, when God looks at Abram, he sees one who believes. And so his sin is removed and God views him as righteous. It's the same for you and I today. So many people think that, that Christians believe some version of you have to be good to get into heaven. You have to please God with your behaviour and, and then perhaps when you die he'll look at the life you lived and he'll decide that you can come in. I don't know if that belief is in any of your hearts today but I'd be surprised if it wasn't. It's so common. It's so common to hear that kind of thinking. I, I try to be good. That must count for something, right? Right? I'm not here to offend anybody today, but I want to burst that kind of thinking here and now. You are not saved by your good works. To be saved, to be counted as righteous by God, you need to believe. You need to believe that your works could never be enough to save you. You need to believe that you're a sinful person who has offended God with your disobedience. You need to believe that Jesus died for your sins. So that you can be forgiven. Jesus died. He was forsaken. To take the punishment for your sin. And you can be righteous. Only through believing on the Lord Jesus. We mentioned Martin Luther earlier on. This idea was a breakthrough for Luther. To realise that his righteousness. Didn't have to come from within. It didn't have to come from his works. It's a gift. From God. A righteousness from somewhere else that is given to us. Well that set the guilty heart of Luther free. Listen. Maybe you've never heard that teaching before. Or maybe you've heard it a thousand times. But you've never really trusted it. You've never really believed it. Maybe you'd like to talk about how you can find freedom from sin and guilt. It's probably something you want to mention to me after the service. Send me a message, send me a WhatsApp, get in touch. And we can talk through exactly what that means for you. But please don't leave it another moment. Too many people leave it too late to trust in Christ. Don't leave it another moment. Finally then we move on. See how God provides Abram with assurance of faith in the covenant. Abram asks a reasonable question in verse 8. He asks, how shall I know? How shall I know? We're no longer talking about the promise of a child. We're now talking about land. And Abram believes God, but he wants more assurance. And what God does here is weird. At least it's weird to us. And so we need a wee bit of explanation about what's going on with the animals and them being cut in two. Basically, this is a contract. It's a form of a contract. It's like today when two people or two parties sign a contract. 
They are both making a promise to the other to uphold their side of the deal. Like if if you were selling a house, the deal is this. You give me so much money and I'll give you a house. It's put into writing and the two people sign to say they agree the contract. Well, what's happening here is a primitive form of a contract and it wasn't uncommon for this sort of ritual to be carried out at the time. Maybe between a king and, and a, a ruler of a, a smaller nation that had been conquered. The two parties or the people uh, making the agreement would cut the animals in two and then they would both walk down the middle as a way of signing the contract. And the symbolism of the whole thing is basically each party, each person is saying to the other, if I break this promise, then let me be cut in two, just like these animals. I think we can probably add a bit of extra force to what's going on and say it's not just a contract. Let's use the biblical word. This is a covenant. This is a covenant. God is making a covenant with Abram here. And so throughout the day, Abram works hard to kill all the animals. He cuts them in two. He lays them out on the ground, each half of an animal facing the other half. So there's a little pathway down the middle. He's tired after all of the hard work and he falls asleep. And in his sleep, the the darkness comes upon him again and God again reaffirms the promise promise of land along with a prophecy and and we know what's going to happen we know about the israelites living in egypt as, as slaves so we understand all of that but of all the curious and all the weird things that are going on perhaps the most weird and most curious is also the most interesting and most helpful thing i've heard the theologian rc sproul say that genesis 15 verse 17 is his life verse. Because in verse 17, the gospel of God's grace is so strongly present. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Something like this is called a theophany. That's a a time when the infinite and invisible God shows himself to a human being. Very often when God does that, it's in the form of fire, the burning bush, the pillar of fire leading the Israelites through the wilderness. And what we have in front of us today is a theophany. Let me tell you what's going on in verse verse 17. Remember I said that each party making the covenant would pass through the animals to say that they would be cut in part, cut apart in two if they didn't keep the covenant. What's amazing here is that God is making a covenant with Abram. But Abram doesn't walk through the pieces. Only God passes through the pieces. The smoking oven and burning torch were God passing through the pieces to make a covenant with Abram. And it doesn't lay any responsibility with Abram. God is saying he is going to take full responsibility of the covenant upon himself. He's making promises to Abram and saying Abram doesn't have any obligations or promises to make whatsoever. It's all on God. It's like me saying it doesn't matter if you give me any money. 
here's a house. That's grace. That's what grace is. In fact, we call this the covenant of grace. God promises Abram and his descendants that they will inherit the land and there is nothing Abram can do to stop it. There's nothing Abram can do to stop God carrying out his promise. And folks, we are saved by the same covenant of grace. We are saved through the work of God in the person of Jesus and the application of the Holy Spirit. And there is nothing you can do to stop God from keeping his promise. It's the amazing grace of God that saves you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less. God's love for you is safe and secure because it's in Jesus. So please, if you ever feel insecure about your salvation, am I really saved? If your guilt is eating you up from your sin, don't let it. Look to Jesus. Look to Christ and see that in Jesus, God promises to bless you and to keep you for all time. And there's, there's nothing you can do to stop him. If you're struggling today, if you're in the dark today, please be assured and receive from God, just like Abram did, assurance of faith in God himself. Turn to God's word and mine it and receive the assurance of faith that comes from God's word and then be assured by the covenant of grace. There's nothing you can do to remove yourself from the love of God. Let's pray together.